Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 341 of The Freelancer Show. This week on the podcast, we have just me, Eric Dietrich, once again. And what I'm going to do is once again talk about something that's sort of um, near and dear to me that I can speak to from personal experience. And that is the transition from freelancer to agency owner. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Now, there was an episode of the show about Oh, I think it was three years ago or so where they interviewed um, the panelists at the time interviewed somebody who had gone from doing freelance work to um, being part of an agency of, I think it was three folks um, that, that sounded like sort of a partnership. So it was in the nascent stages of um, going to uh, agency ownership. In this case, I am going to talk from my own experience, which um, from what I gather of listening to that show, I might be just a little bit uh, further along in agency ownership. Um, and that has kind of been my backstory. So I will talk through my own backstory, kind of what it is to be a freelancer versus what it is to be an agency owner, uh, how you evolve from freelancer to agency owner. And should you even want to do that? Is it worth doing? Because it, it's not really for everybody. Um, so I'm going to discuss all of that and more. But the first thing I want to do is talk um, initially about three different concepts. And that is number one, freelancer, number two, business owner, and number three, agency owner. Now, these are not three mutually exclusive concepts. In fact, I would argue that you can simultaneously be all three of those. But um, in terms of the language that I'm going to use and the way you think of yourself, I think it's worth calling these out as different concepts. So first of all, I think we can probably all grok what a freelancer is um, in terms of like the way you secure work and the fact that you are not employed by a salaried employer or a an employer that employs you as a salaried employee, you get the idea, hopefully. Um, but I'd like to put a little bit of a different spin on it than maybe a lot of people would have. And, and I will describe freelancing. If you think of yourself purely as a freelancer, I think of this as kind of a form of pseudo employment. Now, before you get your hackles up, let me kind of explain why I say that. Um, a freelancer, somebody who kind of thinks of themselves as a serial performer of gigs, if you will, typically you do a lot of the same things that an employee does in just a limited scope capacity. So you might work part time, only 10 hours a week, or you might do like, like kind of limited duration engagements. Um, you go and you do design work for a company, you know, for a month or two, and then you move on to the next company. Um, so it's not the same as being an employee, but an employer, uh, from an employer's perspective, you're scratching a similar itch. It's, it's just a, um, 
less of a commitment for the employer. So if, if I, as an employer, I know that I need some design work or I know that I need some software development work and I feel like I can keep somebody busy for a couple of years, it makes more sense to staff that role as a full-time hire simply because it'll be less expensive. Uh, but if I can't, uh, keep that person busy for that amount of time, or I just don't want to spend that amount of money, I bring in a freelancer. So the work is kind of the same. You know, I've conceived of a project, I'm going to plug you into a role, and you're going to be part of a larger thing, project, department, whatever. Um, and you're going to sort of occupy typically a similar role. And so that's what I mean. And that kind of tees up the discussion of business owner, which is um, a little bit of a different thing. Now, as soon as you hang out your shingle, as soon as you quit your last job, or you know maybe you start your career by going off on your own, um, you are both a freelancer and a business owner, kind of by default. But if you think of yourself purely as a freelancer and not really a business owner, you just think of yourself as a participant in the gig economy, you're going to approach things differently. Like you'll probably sign up for matchmaking services like Upwork or what have you. And you're not going to think of yourself in terms of having like sales and marketing operations. Um, you're not going to think of yourself having a pipeline. You're not going to think of yourself as um, being profitable or not, and you're probably going to run what I'll call a zero profit business, meaning that as a freelancer who's not thinking of these things, you go out, you do some work, you know, you land some gigs through Upwork, you have business expenses like your computer and maybe you know, uh, an accountant or whatever it is you're doing. And then everything except those expenses, you just pull right out of your business and take home as income. You know, that's the money you make. It's your alternative to a salary. Um, that is running a zero profit business. That's what I mean by that. Because literally, um, if, if you consider everything you take out to be your salary, then by design, you are not uh, producing any profit. And I would kind of argue that the bellwether if you will, between thinking of yourself as a freelancer and starting to think of yourself as a business owner, even if it is just a freelancing business of one, um, is that you make that switch and you start to think in terms of profit and loss. You start to think of using something like Upwork not as matchmaking as much as um, managing your like sales and marketing pipeline, managing your business pipeline. So business owner is somebody that has started to go from this kind of mentality of pseudo-employment to regarding what they're doing as a business that you might want to build. Now, moving on to agency owner. An agency owner is, um, well, first of all, I guess I should say that an agency is generally regarded to be um, a business that specializes in delivering a service. Um, so if you go off on your own and let's say you're a freelance software tester, you are also technically an agency owner because software testing is a service and you own an agency of one that is providing that service. So you're technically a business owner, you're technically an agency owner, but you might not really think of yourself as either of those, nor would probably anybody think of you that way until you start making overtures in that direction. So if you start thinking of your profit and loss and you start thinking more like a business, you start to become a business owner. I would argue that you start to become an agency owner when you bring in more people than just yourself. Now, that might be, um, in, or sorry, I should clarify and say more people than just yourself to actually aid in the delivery of that service. So if you're doing pretty well as a freelancer and you decide to bring in like a virtual assistant to, uh, you know, handle your calendar or something like that, I wouldn't really say that 
I mean, technically you're an agency owner to begin with, but if if we start to think in practical terms, when do you have an agency bringing in a little bit of help like that? Not so much. It's going to be when you're bringing in other people to assist in the delivery of what you're doing. And that's when you, I think, truly start to become an agency. And so that's what I want to talk about here today. Um, so it's kind of a typical story. Like I, I think how this happens a lot, like let's take software development as an example. Um, you hang out your shingle, you're a freelancer, you get some gigs, you're doing business well. Um, maybe you start to think of yourself more as a business owner. You start to maybe price things a little bit differently. Uh, maybe you offer some productized services. Uh, however you're progressing, something comes along when business is good that involves more people than just you in the sense that you couldn't deliver the service by yourself. So maybe instead of the odd job, um, you know, building uh, we uh, websites by yourself that take one to three months, somebody comes along and offers you a bunch of money, but the catch is um, it's, you know, work that would require five people over the course of one to three months. The way that an agency starts quite often is in this ad hoc fashion where you will get that order and then you'll run out and scramble and you will find a bunch of fellow freelancers and maybe you're charging $150 an hour You'll go to them, you'll quote the work at 150 and you'll offer them, you know, maybe 120 an hour or something. So you'll basically take this kind of manager cut, like sort of a small margin, and you will do this work. And then you kind of take it from there where during the course of that, maybe you carve off a little more time to try to land more and more of these gigs. And then in sort of fits and starts, you bring in a pool of people and you're sort of managing their time and you're taking on more work and you're plugging and playing. And what will happen is uh, if you're successful in doing that and, and you're happy with it and um, you go on, eventually you will flip some of those from being subcontractors to maybe employees and or you'll start to take a progressively bigger margin. You will on top uh, maybe bill more, like raise your rates from 150 to 200. And then you'll get kind of good enough at it that you don't have to find people who quite look as much like peers. Maybe you find less experienced people or people who are just getting a toehold as freelancers or whatever the case may be, or you hire employees. And that margin starts to grow. And that's kind of going from ad hoc agency ownership to, you know, eventually what I would think of as stable agency ownership. Um, so that's what a typical journey might look like. And that journey, I think for a lot of people is surprising and at times agonizing or weird because it involves you going from being um, an executor of your craft, if you will, to sort of in fits and starts and in a trial by fire, being not just a manager, but a managing director, meaning that your job goes from um, writing software to not only overseeing software as a project manager, but to doing sales and to having meetings and to kind of uh, fitting teams of people with their skill sets, with the needs of clients, which is a role that's generally called managing director. And it is a much different role uh, that requires a lot of trial by fire doing well to grow into. So that might not be for everybody. So that's a typical story. Do you ever wonder how your application gets put onto the devices that it runs on? Whether it's a mobile app being run on an iPhone or Android phone, or whether you're talking about a web app that gets deployed to servers or containers through something like Kubernetes, there's always something going on and understanding how all that stuff goes together can drastically help you figure out how to solve the problems and how to architecture your application better in order to take advantage of how things are set up. You should check out our new podcast, Adventures in DevOps. Adventures in DevOps is a sort of continuation of the Food Fight Show, but is a new podcast. You can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com.
Uh, let me talk a little bit about my story here and, you know, why I kind of feel like talking about this today. Um, I actually did not go from software development, which is my background, to owning a software development agency. I was an employed software developer for years and years. I kind of worked my way up the um, pyramid-shaped corporation situation, you know, going to architect and team lead type roles and then dev manager and eventually CIO. Then I left and I went off on my own and I started to train software developers. I did a little bit of freelance uh, app dev, but more I did coaching of development teams and because of my management background, uh, management consulting. And I kind of evolved this specialized practice um, where I do code base assessments. Uh, I still do that a little bit from time to time, but mostly not now. But I would do these code base assessments or I would help with like org chart design and uh, IT organization um, management consulting type activities. And this did give me occasion to subcontract out work from time to time. So I did kind of gain that experience of being kind of a managing director, at least directing traffic, but I never made that my primary focus. What would happen at times is I would go in to give some advice and um, uh, someone in IT leadership would say, hey, that's great advice. Can you stick around and also help us execute that? And from time to time, I would agree to that and maybe bring in a couple of subcontractors to do software development work or participate in another assessment, eh, different sorts of things. So I kind of got my feet wet and I actually backed away from that because I realized that what I didn't want to be, or so I thought at the time, was a managing director. So I focused instead on backing away from subcontracting work and to kind of try to raise my rates and build a productized service where I got kind of out of the hourly billing model um, in this specialized consulting. And I had some success with that and life was pretty good, but um, this model required a lot of travel. And we wound up with this opportunity, um, I say we because at this time I involved my wife, uh, to get into the content marketing business. Now, this sounds jarring, but the way this actually happened is over the course of the years that I would spend in hotels as a traveling management consultant, um, uh, more, I had a blog, deadtech.com, if you ever want to check it out. Um, and companies would reach out to me and ask me to write for pay for their blogs. And because I was often bored at night in hotel rooms by myself, I would do it. And I discovered over the course of time that I could kind of ask for progressively more money as I got more experience with this. And a few years in, I realized that um, I maybe had a business here. Like so many companies were asking me to do this, that, you know, hey, you get hit in the head enough times with people asking you if they can give you money, start to think about, you know, maybe we could do something here. So I made a decision, um, brought my wife, Amanda, into this. She specializes in uh, editorial work and graphic design. And these seem to be two complementary parts um, to the whole of a content business. So we did just that. And the rest, as they say, is history. So this went really well. It started out with me writing the posts and her editing and doing graphics for them. And over the last two years, we have brought in something in the neighborhood now, I want to say, of maybe 70 authors. Wow. Can, I don't know. A lot of authors. Um, a lot of editors, we've got staff. And so anyway, without getting into all the details of that, to go from me doing the blog post writing to running this business where I don't really write any of the blog posts or things that we do anymore, it was this flip from offering some services or some productized services to running an agency. And that's what the last two years of my life have really been. So I always would have thought that might happen um, in the world of software, since that where I came, uh, that's where I came from, but it wound up happening in the world of content marketing in software. Uh, so that's 
kind of what happened. And so I thought maybe I could talk a little bit in this episode about what that's been like um, and what that might mean for you. So um, I guess the question here, if you're listening to this, uh, you might think, should I want to go the agency route? Like, it sounds good, you know, to go from being sort of a solo freelancer or a solopreneur or whatever you want to call yourself to running a company, you know, it can't help but be more profitable, um, right? And the answer to that is actually surprisingly complicated. Um, so let me kind of talk through why you might want to do this. In terms of would it necessarily be more profitable, I would argue that on a long, a long timeline, yes, if you do well, it will be more pro profitable because as a freelancer, you are kind of doing all of the execution yourself. So unless you build something like an info product, you can't really decouple the time you spend from the money you earn. If you build an agency, and you change your role to be managing director or winning the business or something, and other people are fulfilling the business that you land, uh, then you have decoupled yourself as the managing director from the actual income. And so if you're also an owner, your income can grow even without you doing, say, more work or charging more money. Um, so yes, it is in the long term potentially more profitable, but I would actually argue that there's going to be a dip. Um, in, I think it's the dynamite circle that talks about this, but there's this concept of the thousand day rule. And this is basically, it applies to people who go entrepreneur. So let's say you're at a job somewhere and earning, I don't know, $100,000 a year. What the thousand day rule says is if you quit that job and you decide to go off on your own and, and found a business doing presumably something kind of along the same lines as what you were doing um, in the corporate world, that it takes a thousand days to get back to the income you had. So that's about three years. And in those thousand days, you're going to kind of go broke. You'll in the first year be earning a lot less, and then it starts to tick up in year two. And then by the end of year three, that's when you're about back to where you were, except now you own a business that hopefully is continuing to grow. I can speak to that because with the business hit subscribe, we're about two years in and it was a dip. Um, now, granted, I'm comparing uh, traveling management consulting to uh, the world of doing content marketing, which isn't exactly apples to apples. Uh, but even there was a dip in terms of the agency where we certainly had a point where just doing the blog posts and my wife editing them was more profitable than we started to pay other people to do it. We took a nosedive there for the sake of being able to scale it out to more people. So for, I don't know, about a year after we brought on people, if we had just said, you know what, enough of this, um, I'm going to write all the posts, Amanda's going to edit them, and that'll be a good life. Like, we could have had a good life doing that. So there was that dip. Um, so when you're thinking through, should I go agency, you should be prepared not to think of it as an immediately uh, profitable way to make more money. Um, that sounds weird because, right, like if you're just doing a project at 150 bucks an hour and you get offered a project where you can do um, the work of fire, you can have five people at 150 an hour, but you're only paying out 120 an hour uh, to your subcontractors, you're going to be making 30 bucks an hour on each thing that they're doing. Uh, so the thinking goes anyway, but here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be earning your $150 an hour because you're going to be managing that project. So those four people and their, uh, the margin that you're earning on uh, them, 30 bucks an hour is going to be 120 an hour. That's really what you're going to be earning. So it's eh. anyway, um, I say this to disqualify the motivation of money. Over the long haul, by building an agency that's successful, you will likely be able to make more money. 
than if you just kind of go along as a solo freelancer. But you will be surprised at how long that takes. It is not an immediate path to profit. So let's talk about why you might want to do this. Uh, you might want to do this if you want to build what's called equity in your business. Um, you know how I talked about earlier running a zero profit business as a freelancer. Well, um, when you start to earn profit, assuming you don't pull that profit out, um, that's where you're building equity. If you let that money pool in the business, your business starts to take on a form of worth. Likewise, if you are building a business that other people would want to buy, that's another form of equity. Agencies are not notoriously attractive as businesses that other people want to buy. And the reason being, if you build an agency and you're kind of responsible for all the magic that goes into the agency, if somebody buys you out of that, they're basically only buying your book of business um, if you don't have a lot of like procedures and differentiators in place. That being said, Nobody is going to come along and buy out your freelance practice because there's nothing there. It's just you going around laboring. Nobody would ever have any interest in buying that out at zero profit. So if you move to an agency, you can build equity by letting profit pool in your business, but you can also build equity by building something that's at least somewhat attractive to potential buyers of your business down the road. Uh, another motivator down the road is that, like I said, you're decoupling your time from money. So if you're a couple of years into an agency, if you're doing well with it and you have successfully kind of gotten yourself out of the position of execution of the business and you're bringing in more business, you're managing the business, you can then be out landing deals and doing things in the 30, 40, 50, whatever hours you spend each week um, where you can be hitting home runs or you can pull back, you know, go on vacation for a week or two and still have the same income from the business. And it's not by... Um, going on like the gas utility plan where you don't collect an income from it or you collect less of an income so that you can pay yourself when you take a vacation. No, when you go on a vacation as an agency owner, the participants in the agency are still doing work. And as an owner, you are still earning money, salary or draw, however you're taking that. So the decoupling of time from money, I would say the higher end long range possibilities and the um, the building of equity, the building of something bigger than yourself, I would say are the biggest motivators. Um, so what should you bear in mind or consider? Like what are kind of the downsides if you're thinking of going the agency route? In that case, um, let me rattle them off because I've lived these too. Um, it is jarring. You, uh, you go from being a person executing your craft or your trade, whatever you want to call it, to being a manager. And that's jarring for a lot of people just in the corporate world. Um, now imagine if instead of going from, you know, developer to dev manager, you also had to go to dev manager slash salesperson slash marketer slash CEO slash accountant, et cetera. <laughs> like you kind of become the C-suite of this thing that you're building. Now you can bring in help, you can get advisors, you know, you can delegate to a part-time accountant, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't stop the buck of all these uh, things from stopping with you. So it's jarring and it requires a lot of fire hose drinking. And um, it's hard for me to imagine you going from a practitioner to an agency owner without some burning of the candle at both ends, just because if you're going to do all these things with any bit of success and you haven't done them before, you're going to be teaching yourself all this as you go. So you're going to be up Googling, like, how do I pay quarterly taxes? Well, you might know that as a freelancer, but like, you know, what's accrual versus cash-based accounting or, um, you, you know, how do I pay bonuses out fairly or so on and so forth? Uh, because 
unless you go out and get funding, you're not going to have the leisure to figure that out. Like as you're actually running these projects, you're going to be doing that on the nights and weekends. And by the way, probably if you're building an agency, it's hard to imagine you getting funding. So that's the way it's going to go. Vue.js is no longer the new kid on the block. It's a well-established framework that allows you to build web applications similar to React and Angular. We have a podcast featuring several people from the Vue community, including Chris Fritz, who's on the Vue core team, Ben Hong, who works for GitLab, and several other people that contribute on a regular basis to talk to us about Vue and all of the things going on in the Vue community and all of the things you can do with it. You can check it out at viewsonvue.com. That's views, V-I-E-W-S, on viewvue.com. Uh, so the difficulty with an agency is that it's jarring. Um, it's probably going to be a lot of work for a while, a lot more than you're used to, and different work that takes you out of your comfort zone. Um, and it really, it's a different life. Um, there's this, I think it's Paul Graham did this essay about like the maker schedule versus the manager schedule. It's an excellent essay uh, if you've never had occasion to read it, but it talks about why meetings can be such a train wreck for an engineer or a knowledge worker. So if you put like, if you have a nine to five day and you have a meeting on your calendar at like 1030 and another one at like 230, it's about how like those two meetings can just basically make it so you get nothing done all day because of the need to get into and out of a flow state. And it's about how managers are always trampling all over that because Unlike a maker who wants, you know, half a day at a time to concentrate, a manager uh, portions out his or her time in hour long blocks, you know. Uh, so you look at your calendar and you have, you know, seven, eight blocks during which you can take meetings and talk to people. Anyway, going from freelancer or business owner of one to agency owner also pulls you from that maker's schedule to the manager's schedule. And so if going around from meeting to meeting all day or, you know, doing it uh, teleconferencing, if you're me, um, if that doesn't sound attractive, you're going to have to get used to that because that is your life as an agency owner. It's just a series of appointments where you're talking to the people that work for you. You are talking to clients. You are talking to prospects. Um, you are going to live that life. So you're going to have to kind of weigh those two different considerations against each other when you're thinking of how to do it. So like, or uh, whether to do it or not, I should say, like, if I summarize that, I guess I would say, can you deal with this shift in what you are and how you work? And can you say goodbye to the thing that you were really good at doing and you went off on your own to do and probably loved to do in a lot of your cases out there? Can you say goodbye to that? And, you know, this is probably another of the downsides or whatever, uh, depending on your personality. Can you trust other people that you hire to do it, even when you think maybe they're not doing it quite as well as you could do it? Can you trust them without diving back in and putting your hands all over it and micromanaging them? Can you live with that? Can you make that adjustment? Can you get out of your comfort zone? Can you take your hands off, assume a different role, get on a lot of phone calls? in exchange for the promise of kind of one, um, more longer range wealth, potentially. Number two, building a business that you have equity in that grows beyond you. And um, number three, decoupling your labor from money. Uh, there's a lot of talk on this podcast about that decoupling. And I think everybody kind of views that as a good thing. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, even if it's as simple as like uh, writing a book and selling it, there is nothing quite like the feeling of waking up in the morning to see that you've made money while you were sleeping. That's real. So can you chase these things down or is it worth it to chase these things down um, in exchange for this kind of trade you're going to make where you're going to have to say goodbye to the thing you got pretty good at, enjoyed some mastery in and have done for a long time. And that's really kind of the heart of the trade-off. So um, 
let's assume, you know, that's kind of how you have to weigh it. If the answer is, should I go agency owner? Like, is this even something I want to pursue or am I happy as a, a freelancer, a solo consultant or a business owner of one or what have you, um, or a business owner where, you know, maybe you're building a SaaS or, or what have you, um, kind of in conjunction with, uh, your freelancing and consulting agency owning is unique. Like you can still build a software product or an info product or something as a different income stream. Uh, while continuing to freelance. But agency owning is kind of all-consuming. You can't run a business full of people as a part-time job, I don't think. I mean, you know, weigh in in the comments of the episode if if that is something that you can do part-time, at least initially. I mean, over the course of a couple years, as you build it out, you might be able to work yourself out enough where you're just an owner and then sure, yeah, you can go do other things. But in that critical time, I don't think you can do that part-time. I don't even know how easy it is to do it full-time. You kind of need to do it full and a half-time. So you got to kind of think all that through. I think if you bear with it, you do it well and you can stand the work and even like the work, you'll come out on the other side in probably a better financial position um, if it goes well and better teed up to maybe retire early or, you know, to build wealth more quickly and to, you know, sell or to go part time and do a different venture, et cetera, et cetera. It is probably a better path to financial independence, I guess is a good way to put it, than freelancing, where if you're going from gig to gig, you might save money and then it's just kind of like uh, working full time. Like, do you save enough money um, to retire young? Or, you know, at, at what point have you, not to be macabre, but at what point have you socked away enough money that you can, you know, that you'll not run out of it before you die? Um Owning an agency, owning a business is a path out of that. So weigh all that, ask if it's for you. Um Let's say that it is. I guess I'll close here by offering kind of pieces of advice in retrospect. Um, Number one, I kind of went into this knowing that we might look to make it an agency. Like I think from the earliest days, we thought we'd bring in other writers and editors and people. But if you're going to do this, be eyes wide open about it. Like don't say, I'm going to start an agency where we build websites and it'll be great because, you know, I'll bring in like two or three other people and I'll make a little bit of money off them plus the money that I make building websites. Like don't kid yourself. If you're going to build a successful agency, then your days of actually executing the website building craft are numbered because you'll hit a point of success. I don't know what the magic number is, but it's going to be like two or three other people routinely doing work where you just don't have time to do that anymore. You will get to that point where you can't continue to go that route if you're successful. So I would say from the beginning, um, adjust, acclimate to that reality, and you'll do better with it. I would also say that you should develop policies and procedures before going the agency route. So when you're the freelancer, when you're the business of one, and you think you can turn what you're doing into a practice that involves more people, document how you do sales, document how you're doing marketing for the business, and especially document how like after you do a sales call, how how you onboard, how you interact with clients, how frequently do you talk to them, what is discovery like, and so on and so forth. That way, when you start bringing other people in, you can, number one, plug them in more successfully. But number two, that framework in place means that you don't need to rely on people with just as much skill and improvisational ability as you. You can hire people maybe with less experience who are going to be less expensive and plug them in and still have them be successful. So absolutely kind of get your business down before you look to expand it to other people. I would also say, based on my experience with Hit Subscribe, um, I would move to, in addition to getting policies and procedures down in terms of like how you execute what you're doing, I would also try to move to getting... um, 
pricing different like than just hourly billing and a lot of people might disagree with me on i mean you get like you know agencies the size of like pricewaterhouse cooper or accenture or whatever um that probably have 850 billion employees and they all still charge by the hour but my advice would be to try to move towards some kind of flat pricing if you can because then you can reason about margin in a little bit of a different way you can get more margin out of more efficiency. Whereas if you are running an agency where you just bill out by the hour, your margin is kind of predicated upon you as a middleman upping your rates with the client and driving down the rates that you pay um, your employees. If you don't have that sort of bill it on out by the hour model, you can realize enough efficiency where you could you can actually get into situations where when your uh, folks are doing good work, you can pay them more. And if you realize enough efficiency in other parts of that margin, you can pay them more and earn more money for the business. So um, that's a bit of an abstract thing. It's kind of AP stuff, but like look to quote flat rates. Like for instance, with hit subscribe, we don't do anything by the hour. There are rates for the services that we do and that we offer to clients. And so the more efficient we get, the more operating margin we have, the more we can reward the people that are helping us do that. The other thing that I'll say is if you look to go the agency route, that can be really feast or famine where you're in this cycle of like, okay, you get a big client and that client says, uh, I'm going to need at least five of you. One isn't going to cut it. So maybe you bring in some subcontractors or maybe you hire a few people. Well, now say you've hired two people and you bring in two subcontractors. When that job is up, you are um, on the hook. You've got two employees and you might like not pay yourself for a month or two because you got to make payroll. That gets into this sort of whiplash feast or famine cycle where maybe now another client comes along, but maybe it's not the best fit. Or maybe this new client wants 10 people and that's great because now you can pay your folks, but now you got to go hurry up and hire. And you see this with nascent agencies. You hear this concept of the bench. And the bench is this place where, you know, at a smaller agency, people go to get fired because the agency can't really carry bench. They can't afford to pay people to do nothing. Uh, so the thing I'll say in response to all that is look early and often to generate or, or to create ways to have like stable monthly recurring revenue, like different lines of business. So maybe, yeah, you have an agency, but you also build out an info product or something that you sell, or maybe you have an offering um, that's like some kind of maintenance or retainer where it's a stable amount coming in each month that you can bank on to kind of get you through that feast and famine cycle. Uh, another great thing to do if you're building an agency. So that's it. I mean, that's kind of my story of going from freelancer to business owner to agency owner. It is absolutely not going to be for everybody, but if it seems like it might be for you, I would say give it a try. Um, take the advice I mentioned, dip your toe in the water. If you stick with it and come out the other side, um, my experience has been that it's rewarding in ways that I might never have thought it would be rewarding. It's been a, a very interesting ride. Uh, so with that, why don't I move into picks? Um, the first pick that I'm going to offer is called Built to Sell. It's a book and it advocates that you treat your business, um, uh, you know, in the case of an agency or whatever it may be, uh, you know, agency is a great model for this, but treat your business as if it were a franchise, like emulate McDonald's. And this is kind of what I was talking about with playbooks. Get everything down to a science so that you can bring and plug people in. And not only does that uh, make your business more attractive if you ever want to sell it, but the reason that, that, that I find it so great is because it makes your business more attractive to own. It lets you plug people in and have them do what they're good at. It minimizes stress. It makes you less dependent on heroes in the business. Um, so if you're thinking of maybe doing an agency, that's a great book. I'll also throw a pick to that Paul Graham article uh, that I mentioned. It's a good article to read. 
And last up, since I spent a bunch of time talking about hit subscribe, if you're listening and you are anywhere in the IT organization, um, ops, DevOps, software, testing, leadership even, and you want to think about getting your name out there writing some uh, blog posts for pay, uh, you can apply to write for us at hit subscribe. We'd love to have you. And that is going to do it. We will catch you next time. Thank you, as always, for listening. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.